need love. Everybody, I'm happy to be here. Love. We all need affection. We all need someone in our life that cares about us and that will put our needs before theirs. You know, everybody at some point needs someone to just wrap their arms around and say, hey, you know, I love you. Um, it's okay. It's going to be all right. You're going to make it through this situation. Problems happen to everyone. There is not one person that's walking the planet that can say, I've never had a problem. There's not one person walking the planet that could say, I enjoy, truly enjoy being alone or never having anybody in my life. No family, no friends, no spouse, no children. You need love. We all need love. Love is, in fact, the principal thing. It is the thing that took Jesus to the cross. It was love. The Bible lets us know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was love that propelled him to the cross. It wasn't anything else. It was an obligation. It was love. So everyone needs love. All of us. We all have that in common. We all need love. So love is the principal thing. What is love? Well, the Bible lets us know in 1 Corinthians, it gives us a definition of love. And many of us know this definition. It says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. At some point in life, we all need that. We need someone to be patient with us, to be forgiving with us to give us another chance. We all need love. Everyone needs love. So today, let's go to our focal scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. The book of Matthew, chapter 22, starting at verse 37. And it says, Jesus replied. Now, these are Jesus' words, okay? Jesus replied, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, as a cross reference, if you've been around this ministry a long time, you know that I like to cross-reference scriptures because as I've always said, scripture will never contradict scripture. It will parallel scripture. So as a cross-reference in Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And now catch this, Leviticus 19, 18. Hold on to your seat. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, some of you got stuck on that one. That's Leviticus 19, 18. So before we go any further, I'd like to give you the background of what was going on in Matthew chapter 22. See, at the time, the Pharisees, who were the local know-it-alls, so to speak, they were trying to trap Jesus with his words. These are the people that were educated quote unquote, in the law. And they thought they knew everything, of course. And they tried to trap Jesus with his words. So they started throwing a whole bunch of questions 
at Jesus, trying to interrogate him when it comes to the law and the scriptures. And so they kept asking Jesus questions. And Jesus answered them. Jesus answered the questions. And one of the questions they asked, well, what is the greatest commandment? And that is why Jesus responded to them and said, the first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbors as you love yourself. And the Sadducees at the same time, who were also asking Jesus questions. And the Sadducees, as we know, they don't even believe in the resurrection from the dead. So they had no hope in even believing in who Jesus is, the Messiah. However, their intent was just to interrogate him and ask him questions and try to trap him. But the way that Jesus responded to them, it put the entire principle of who God is in order. Because if we understand who God is and that it was his love that even sent Jesus into the world, then we understand when he says that you have to love him first with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. So my first point to you today is since love is the principal thing, the first thing that we need to have in our life is a true love for God. Love for God. God must be your first priority. That means God is above your ambitions, your desires, your motives, your intents your desire for worldly gain. God is above those things. God must be your first priority. Remember, he's an ever-present help. So that means that we must include God in everything that we do. Our love for God means that we would include God, that we would seek his wisdom, his will, and his way in the things that we do and we make as a priority. God must be a reality in your life. Not just something you do on Sunday or Saturday or whenever you worship, but he must be a reality of your everyday life. Jesus gave us the best example of loving God and putting him first. He took time away from his ministry to pray to fast, to pray, to fast, to pray and to fast, and to commune with God. Jesus took time to seek the will of God, to pray for the will of God. It was not a situation where Jesus said, okay, I know what I'm here to do. Let me do it, and let me just go on back and sit right beside God. He sought God all through the process. See, when we love God, we include him in the process. Many a times we make decisions and we ask God about it after the fact. We get ourselves into a jam and we ask God to get us out of it. When we didn't go to God about it from the very beginning, we didn't seek God's wisdom or his will. And we didn't go about it in God's way. But we want God's rescue mission. We've got to put God first. Love God. Let's look at the example that Jesus gave us in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 36 through 45. 
Now, for the sake of time, you can read it directly on your own. But for the sake of time, in this chapter, Jesus was with his disciples. And he went to a place called Gethsemane. And he told them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And so he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Then he went a little further and he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed. How many people have fallen on your face before God and prayed? How many of you do that in your own homes instead of waiting until you get to church? Now, I know we have been doing the online services and we're going to be coming back to live services in just a few weeks. But how many of you make it a habit to get on your face before God and cry out to God in your own homes. We need to love God and put him first. We need to seek his will. Because what did Jesus say after he fell on his face before God? It says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus himself prayed the will of the Father. We have got to love God enough that we trust his will. Part of loving God first is trusting his will. Trusting that God knows what is best. And that his ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. And he knows what is best for us. And so whatever his will is, even if it hurts temporarily, we've got to love God enough to do his will. That means in some cases, we've got to leave some people that we love. We've got to leave some groups and cliques that we love. We've got to not associate ourselves with foolishness that we love because we've got to do the will of God. And it may hurt a little bit, but just like Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Yet not as I will, but as you will. We've got to learn how to trust God's will, even if we don't understand it. Now, as human beings, we think we know everything. We're like the Pharisees sometimes. We swear we know better than God himself. Yet not as I will, but as you will. We have got to trust God enough that we accept his will in our circumstances. Because remember, we are not our own. The Bible says we have been bought with a price. And that price is the precious blood that Jesus Christ shed for us. He shed that blood because of his love. Love is the principal thing. Love is the only reason that Jesus came to the earth. He was not obligated to do it. He did it out of love. And we've got to understand that. We have to love God enough 
that we would sacrifice our time, our talent, and our treasure. Because who gave it to us but God? We didn't get these things on our own. We are not of our own. It is God that has blessed us with what we have. Oftentimes people have asked me, well, how did, how did the businesses get to be the way they are right now? You know, you're accrediting schools all, all around the world. And how did you get this? And how did you get that? You know, you started way back in 2004 and you're still doing this. How did this happen? Every single time it was God, not me. It's not my college degrees. It's not anything I've done right. It is only the grace of God that has allowed us to get to where we are. And we can only give God glory for that. We've got to love God enough that we acknowledge him before men. Amen. So Jesus took time to pray more than once, because if we keep going down uh, to verse um, through verse 45, we'll see several times Jesus went back and his disciples were asleep. But he went back again and again and found them asleep. Each time he was going and praying the will of God. We have got to pray the will of God more than once in our search circumstance. So Jesus took the time to pray more than once. And he prayed for the Father's will. He knew his purpose. He knew his ministry. And he also knew what was about to come. Jesus prayed in the face of adversity and persecution. How many of us forget about the fact that we love God when problems come? We get upset with him. We walk away from the things that God has called us to because we're upset because life isn't going our way. The face of adversity and persecution. When problems come, sickness in the body, relationship issues, financial issues, we don't want to serve God at that point. At that point, we want to go live like the world. Then when things get better, then come back to God. Jesus prayed the will of the Father in the face of adversity and persecution. Because Jesus loved the Father enough to obey his will in the face of persecution and adversity. So the first principle is that we have to have a true love for God. And that's a personal thing. That is a personal thing. Each individual has to have a true love for God. One of the ways that we can develop our love for God is by taking the 24-7 challenge. If you've been following this ministry, you've heard of the 24-7 challenge. I challenge you for seven days. I challenge you for seven days. You can start as low as 24 minutes all the way up to two hours and 40 minutes. 24 minutes. Spend 24 minutes with God each day for the next seven days. That's the 24-7 challenge. And then you keep doing it, and you keep doing it. Before you know it, you'll be up to two hours and 40 minutes. Dedicate 10% of your day, the day that the Lord has given you, to God. And you will see changes in your life. 
that'll happen without you even, you'll forget about problems and all of a sudden they'll be resolved. You'll see changes in your life happen. Just putting God first. So my second point is love for your neighbor. Remember, Jesus replied to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and said, the first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord, love God, love for God. The second one is like it, love for your neighbor. Now, everybody who goes to church says, sure, I love everybody. I'm a good Christian. Most people don't even realize that they're walking in hate and division. That on the inside, they really don't love people. But if you notice what Jesus said, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Some people are showing so much hate because they got hate for themselves. They don't realize it, but they hate themselves and others and their neighbors. Some people that go to church don't even realize that they have racism in their hearts. They think, oh, that's just what I think about certain groups of people. Nothing wrong with that. Certain races of people are just not as good as others. That's what some people think. And they genuinely believe it. They're confused. They believe the Bible even backs them up. They even twist scriptures to try to support it. Some people think all the racial unrest is just a figment of certain people's imagination. After all, we had Obama. Love for your neighbor. But we have to learn how to treat one another. See, love is action. It's not just words. How do you know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? By how you love one another. In other translations, by how you treat one another. Love for your neighbor. How do we respond to injustice is a reflection of how we love our neighbor. It's a reflection of what's on the inside of us. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. This is Paul speaking to um, in a letter to the Corinthians. He said, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another and what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And now let me help you understand something. When he says brothers and sisters, he means believers. Okay. Believers, men and women as part of God's family. So what he was writing in his letter, he was like, listen, brothers and sisters, men and women who are all a part of God's family, stop the division among you. Come together in unity. That's how you show love for your neighbor. You cannot say that you love someone and you're constantly quarreling, bickering, jealousy, envy, fighting, divisions. That's not love. See, love is action. Jesus gave us an example. He didn't say, okay, I love you. I might come to the earth, go to the cross, 
die for your sins. I should come to the earth, die for your sins. He didn't say that. He did that. It's an action. So we can't say that we love our neighbor and we're okay with racial injustice. We're okay with people being mistreated or we're okay with divisions. Now, the unique thing about Paul, we have preachers today that need to get a little bit of a Paul anointing on them. <laughs> we joke sometimes about a Peter anointing because we joke about Peter, Apostle Peter, and how, you know, he was a little out there. And some of us preachers are a little out there when it comes to Peter. So we say we have a Peter anointing. But some people need to catch a little bit of a Paul anointing. And what do I mean by that? Paul addressed real life issues. And we have people, leaders today, that are refusing to address real life issues. How do we love our neighbor? When we see an issue, we got to address it. That's love in action. So Paul became aware of the divisions amongst the people. And he began to address those issues. Amen? According to the scriptures. And so let me give you an, an understanding of what the book of 1 Corinthians is about. 1 Corinthians, Paul dealt with division over leadership in chapters 1 through 4. He dealt with individuals in the church that were involved in sexual immorality, boasting about it. In chapter 5. He dealt with lawsuits among believers in chapter 6. Uh-oh, uh-oh. We're going to talk about that at some point. He dealt with different types of sexual immorality in the church in chapter 6. We're going to talk about that. These were difficult issues that Paul addressed. Now, what's going on today in present day? We've got some of those same issues going on in the church, in the body of Christ. But we got weak, jellyback leaders. Write me a letter, please. Write me an email. Send me a text message. Facebook me if you don't like that I said it. I'll repeat it again. We have weak, jellyback leaders who don't love the people enough to address it according to the word. So we need to catch some of the Paul anointing and learn to address these matters. Why? Because these issues prevent the people from doing what Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't tell me that you love your neighbor as yourself and you think it's okay to put your knee on someone's neck until they die. You can't tell me that you love your neighbor as you love yourself and you are comparing your pastor to another pastor, the number of people in your church to the number of people in another church and thinking that you're better. You can't tell me you love your neighbor as you love yourself and you're messing around with a child and you're an adult. It's all quiet in here, okay. Anyways, love for your neighbor. Love your neighbor 
as you love yourself. How you treat people is an indication of whether or not you love them as you love yourself. And see, Jesus cannot be tricked. The Pharisees and the Sadducees tried. As some people say, they tried it. They tried it. They tried to trick and confuse him with his words. They tried to get him to double talk is what it's called. They tried to interrogate them, but Jesus gave them the perfect answer. It's summed up in this. All the laws and the prophets hang on love. All of it is dependent upon love. So when it comes down to it, it's really not complicated. It's simple. How do you love God? First, how do you love your neighbor as yourself? Second, and walk around doing what you're doing. Somebody's got to address it. And present day world. The racial injustice in our world. It's a product of hate, not the love of God. God created us all equal. There's no difference in God's eyes. The diversity within the church. We know God's not happy with that. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. It says, you are still worldly, for since there is jealousy, uh-oh, there's that word, and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Translation, what is pastor so-and-so? And what is bishop so-and-so? All of them belong to God. It says, only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. In other words, what was Paul saying to them? Paul was saying, don't puff me up as your idol because God has sent me to this region and he is moving through me the way that he is. Don't puff this pastor up or this bishop up as your idol because God has sent him to that reason, region and he's doing what he's doing in his life because guess what? Neither one of us are anything. It is only God. It is only God that makes things grow. There's not a pastor alive that can make his church grow. Not one. I don't care if you got 10,000 members. I don't care if you got one member. There isn't a pastor on this earth that can make his church grow because it's not your church. We'll deal with that another time. So believers were fighting over leaders. They were fighting over who their leader was. And see, you got to watch that. 
Don't make people your idol. Love God first. There was division amongst the church. There was division amongst the pastors, the leaders. Okay? But we've got to love our neighbor as ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 4 and 6, Paul was giving guidance to the people about fighting and boasting over their leaders. And he addressed the issue. He did not ignore it so as to passively um, allow it to continue. Because when we ignore issues that are taking place in our present day world, we're not walking in love. What we're doing is passive aggressively allowing it to continue. So every time there's a racial issue, racial injustice, whether we have a congregation that's full of, a, that's mixed like it should be, like heaven looks, or if we have a con congregation that's predominantly one race or another, that's fine too. But we still should be addressing the issue to give guidance to the people so that you know how to walk in love, how to love your neighbor as yourself. Notice that he addressed this in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is the book of love. It is the book of love. Another issue that we face in the church, and this needs to be addressed, unfortunately. Because in the coming weeks, more and more issues are going to come out. And it's hurtful to the body of Christ, but it needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed to bring healing. And that is the sexual immorality in the church. Now, this is not about judging. This is about walking in love. One of the worst things a person can experience is any form of sexual violence against them. Add to that, for the people that are in their life that are supposed to protect and care for them, to either ignore it or know about it and not do anything. That's an added degree of pain. You cannot say you are walking in love towards your neighbor if you don't stand up for what is right. That needs to be addressed. And in the coming weeks, watch your news, more information is going to come out about that. But it needs to be addressed in the body of Christ. You can't say with a straight face that you love God and you don't treat the people that are made in his image right. First Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, this time, Paul is just specifically addressing that particular issue. So what I'm doing is bringing it into the present day. But he, he was addressing that issue. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even... 
Though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. And it goes on to say, you know, um, it goes on to talk about how we are supposed to judge what is right and what is wrong as believers. But if we are doing what Jesus said, which is to love our neighbor as ourself, we can't say that we're doing that and we don't address these tough issues just like Paul had to address at the time. Because in this present day, these tough issues are taking place. How many people are being abused in the church? Children abused and molested by ministers on staff. And nobody is addressing it because it's not popular. It's not one of those feel-good messages. There are people right now that are wounded because of traumatic events that have happened in their life. And nobody has addressed it. No one has been held accountable. You have people that are standing in a pulpit preaching, that are standing in a pulpit singing, that are leading congregations, that are leading areas of ministry, and they have molested children. Yes, I'm addressing it. I triple dare you to email me or text me or call me, Facebook me. I'll repeat the same thing. If you've been in, around this ministry, you know I will. We've got to get a Paul anointing. And we've got to address it because we can't say with a straight face that we love our neighbors as ourselves if we don't speak the truth. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. So what a horrible thing it is for someone to experience rape, incest, molestation, and it never be acknowledged by the people that are supposed to protect them. We ought to repent, church. The love of God protects and defends the innocent. And you say, well, they've been doing what they're doing for, you know, for years. Everybody knows about that. Who am I? You're the one that God said do it. The love of God protects and defends the innocent. It doesn't cover up the bad actors. Is not based on how long you've known them. It's not based on who they're related to. That's a big one. Let me say that one again. It's not based on who they're related to or any other reason. We have to go back to right is right and wrong is wrong, regardless of who does it. They used to say sin is sin. The only true way to walk in love is to speak the truth, cry loud and spare not. And then finally, our third point for today is love for our enemies. So we've got to have love for God, love for our neighbors. And within that, we've given it its own category. 
is love for our enemies. Because this is one of the biggest challenges that we face in the body of Christ. We claim we have a love for our neighbor. We're following the scripture. We go to church. That's cool. We've accepted Christ in our hearts. That's cool. But we can't stand brother or sister so-and-so. And if nobody's looking, they might be in a little danger. <laughs> if I get an opportunity, I might go ahead and get them back for something they said that I didn't like. That's not the love of God. God gives us his, his, his instructions. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 42 through 44, it says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, Jesus is our example. What did Jesus say when he was on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't say, Father, get them. Go get them. You see what they're doing to your son? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he wasn't just talking about the ones who physically put him on the cross. I dare say he was asking for forgiveness for all of us. Because we all need it at some point. All have sinned and fallen short. So instead of hating our enemies and trying to get them back, trying to get revenge against them, we got a God that knows how to get revenge better than we can. In fact, he said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. But we have to learn how to pray for those who persecute you. That's a part of love for your enemies. That's a part of it. We can't say we love God and we hate people that are made in his image. Your enemy was made in the image of God, just like you were. That means we have to get to the point where we love God enough that we love his will and we pray his will for our enemies, even though it hurts us to do it. Why? Why does it hurt? Because they've offended us. See, I'm trying to help you get delivered today. This is not one of those run around the church, get deliverance. This is one of those heart and soul down deep deliverances that actually last, last, that'll actually make a difference in your life. Because you run around the church, call yourself, get deliverance. I'm not saying there's something wrong with that, but I'm just telling you at the end, you're going to be tired. You might lose a little weight, but you're going to be tired. But if you get this down in your spirit realm, you'll notice a life change happen. So let me say it for you again. We've got to get like Jesus to the point where we learn how to lay on our face before God and pray the will of God, even for our enemies, even when it hurts. Then you know you've grown up spiritually. It's time for some of us to grow up spiritually. We've been a baby too long. You ever see a one-year-old? A two-year-old still walking around in diapers. We got a full set of teeth walking around in diapers. 
time for a little bit of potty training. We've got to grow up spiritually. You know, I literally, at one point, this was a couple of decades ago, I visited a church and the pastor and the, the majority of the church was from another country, and uh, which isn't a problem. That's not the issue. But they're from another country. And um, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, they were actually from multiple countries. They were from multiple countries, to be honest. I literally one day heard the pastor pray that his enemies die by fire. I couldn't make that up for you if I wanted to. He literally prayed, all my enemies die by fire. That's a direct quote. I remember going to another church where the leadership of the church would curse anybody that they did not like, that upset them, that left. And they literally made the people feel like well, they must have said something out of order to leadership. Therefore, leadership cursed them and they ain't going to ever be blessed. And that literally was indoctrinated to people. They went out of the way to try to get them blackballed, ostracized. Because that's the way they thought walking in love was, was supposed to be. We've got to do better, people. This has to be a matter of the heart. We cannot say that we love God and we love our neighbor as ourselves, And we're walking around doing these things as if nothing is wrong. Because guess what? The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his face is attentive unto their cry. He knows everything. He sees everything. So we have got to truly love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We've got to start showing grace to one another. We've got to forgive people. And when I say forgive, that means don't go try to get revenge. <laughs> We've got to treat people the way that we want to be treated. We've got to put God first in everything. And we've got to do what's right in the eyesight of God. Amen? Amen. So we thank God for this word today, and I pray that it has um, touched your heart in a special way. Um, let's go before God. Father, we thank you for this word that has gone forth today. We pray, Lord God, that it has fallen um, fresh on good ground, Lord God, and that it will bear fruit in the lives of your people. We ask you, Lord God, to bless us and keep us as we go forth from this place from not from your presence. In Jesus' name, amen always.